welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Another great episode in store for you today. We're going to be talking about a massively undervalued area of the business, customer service. Every company has a team. Every company understands the need for a team. But so few companies are exploiting the true value that a customer service team can bring to the business. Today's guest is Neil Forrest, strategic partner manager at Gorgeous, one of the most popular customer service platforms in the e-commerce space. Let's get him on now to talk about how customer service can really contribute to business growth. Hi, Neil. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want to just give us a, a bit of a quick introduction to yourself and your background and what you've been up to? Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess my my background is, is fairly varied. I've had a few different roles in digital and e-commerce over the sort of last eight and a half years, mostly agency side. So working in, in sales and strategy, a lot of uh, account management, project management, that sort of thing. I also launched my, my own brand on Shopify. So brand's okay. called the Tartan, Tartan Scarf Company. And you know, it's a bit of a, a stereotype, the Scottish guy selling yeah. Tartan scarves, but but there you go. And then most recently I joined Gorgeous. Oh awesome. I guess getting straight into the podcast. Uh, what, what do you think is the what, what is the biggest contributor to growth or, or biggest opportunity for growth for, for DTC brands at the moment? Yeah it's an interesting one. So I actually I posted this exact question on on LinkedIn and the responses I got were were kind of interesting for a few different reasons. Partly because they were somewhat predictable, I thought. So the key, the key, like things that people agreed on was that everyone is like doubling down on retention. So a lot of growth for for people is going to come from retention as opposed to acquisition. A lot of people talking about how important community and customer service side of it are, but also people talking about how conversion rate optimization is the best investment. Your good product and really like that post purchase experience will will win every single time. So really, like for me, the the channels that are going to be important are going to be email, you know, your customer service, whatever whatever you use for, for customer service, and also how you're leveraging loyalty within your brand as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, customer service is huge, or it always has been at the, the brands I've been in. You know, there have been a couple of times when it has been seen, seen as a little bit of a cost center, but it's, yeah. you know, it's really important to try and change that mindset and really show how valuable that can be. So how does a brand do that? You know, what, I guess a very basic question: What does good What does good customer service look like? Maybe better: What does great customer service look like? Yeah, cool. I quite like this question. But uh, so for me, customer service I actually see as part of like the wider customer experience. Like customer service. Like, so before I joined Gorgeous, to me, customer experience just conjured up images of like a bunch of people sitting in like a dark room with like little Britney Spears mics on the telephone, just being difficult for the sake of being difficult. Like you know, like the the little Britain like computer says no. Yeah. Like that. Like just people be like, oh no, sorry, can't find your order. And you'll just order another one or something. And that's kind of how customer service was when I was growing up. Like, like I don't think customer service was particularly great. And that's because like I grew up with the internet, sort of as the internet grew. But as the internet's grown, that's given more power to the consumers to make brands or to kind of force brands into providing a better customer service because they don't provide a good customer service. All it takes is a few bad reviews online and their brand reputation is, is done. So like before, before I started this, I used to, I was used to sort of things like NPS, which you know, for, for if anyone listening doesn't know what NPS is, it's called Net Promoter Score. And it's a way of measuring customer loyalty and satisfaction. But then I joined Gort. That was about all I kind of knew in terms of how to measure how good like a brand was or what how good a reputation was. But then I actually figured out or found out that customer service could be measured. And typically brands fall into one of five levels. 
So like one being the lowest and five being the highest. And for context, there's only about 3% of brands globally that are at that level five, that level five stage. So one of them, you know, being Amazon. So like say what you like about Amazon. If there's one thing that they do well, it is offer a top quality customer service, which then in turn, unfortunately leaves the best of us D2C brand owners, like trying to match these incredible expectations that consumers have. But, but you're asking about what does a great customer service or customer experience look like? And it's measured by looking at things like first response time, your resolution time, how many tickets are automated, what channels are, are integrated. And then finally, like and probably the most important is like how much revenue is generated by support and what your sort of your support team's attitude to monetization is. So so once you do that, you can actually look at you know, where a brand sits. On, on that level one to, to five. And the majority of brands, or the average brand, sits around level two, which, which leaves, a, leaves a lot of room for improvement. It's interesting. So I just want to give an example of great great customer service that, I, that I've had just while it's on my mind. Have you ever heard of a tool called Balsamic? So it's a uh, wireframing yeah, like the, tool. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So I I tried to, to activate it on my laptop the other day and it said your, your trial's expired, you need to use a license. So got my license key out and it said you that license key is an old version but you qualify for a 50% discount on the the new version and I was like I am absolutely I'm certain I have upgraded to that before but on my desktop PC because that's where I've used it yeah. the most so I got in touch with them and just said look are you allowed to use it on multiple pe- multiple devices how does this work they got back to me and basically just resolved it all in one so they got back to me and said yes you can use it on multiple devices it looks like your key is an old key. Here is your your new key. Gave me two other bits of information. I can't remember what they were now. Probably like order confirmation code or something. Like t- two other things that they thought were important to me. I just needed that license key. I happened to mention them in my email because I was trying to be a little bit nice to see if I could get away with anything. I said, I, I love Balsamic. I've been using it for probably seven, eight years or something. Like for ages, yeah. always telling people about it. Uh, so not only did she resolve this problem for me, she then said, oh, I've, I've sent you a separate email just as a thank you. So I checked that out and it was literally just go and pick something from their, their merch store and, and just it's, it's free. They'll just send it. So I, I'm getting hopefully a quite a cool looking poster sent over in the uh, next week or so, which is, which is just awesome. Now and that's, that's going to sit on my wall in my office. Absolutely. That's, that's when you know you're, you you work in ecom um, or digital when you're ordering balsamic posters and putting them on your wall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Of, it's it's a load of like UI motivate like kind of motivational. Uh, <laughs> I love points. it. So I want to see. I want to ex- see it. Man. Exactly it's what I want. But so going back to your point, so those five levels. Like, yeah. To me, it kind of sounds like what you've what you've kind of described is if people are doing these things, I suppose not doing them, but. Let's go. Let's just go into each of those a bit more detail. In particular, I want to touch on monetization, but we'll do that last because I think that's a really, really important and interesting one. But yeah, just touching on what was it? So first response time, yes. completed response automation, and number of, number of automated ticket. What channels are are integrated? But yeah, first, like starting with like that first response time. So the the average response time for for most of those brands on around like the level two point is about twelve hours, which is pretty pretty long to wait for for a for, for a first response and then the resolution time is around about 17 hours so like 
really like not a great experience and quite often brands will have a very disjointed this is kind of coming on to like the, the what channels are supported part but they'll have a very disjointed view of that customer as well so yeah so sorry just quickly that first response in 12 hours that's the is that the first human response or the first just the first message that person receives um just 12 the, like the first me- on average the first message that anyone receives back is is 12 hours after a message is received whether or not it's like automated or human right okay yeah that's quite bad it's quite bad isn't it <laughs> and I, I i find it quite surprising so so yeah 12 hours so like if you think about this from a customer point of view you've got 12 hour first response time and then you've got to wait like 17 hours to actually get something resolved then on top of that maybe you've had to reach out on facebook on email by phone but like the brand that you're reaching out to doesn't have any way of connecting all of those channels to, to understand that you've reached out all these times and you haven't been heard. So you're, you're just left like pissed off as a, mm-hmm. as a customer. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, where you're using the right tooling um, within your tech stack can actually you know, very much help all of those things. Yeah. So and actually, I'm oh, sorry. You go. I was just going to touch on all the channels set up. Yeah. So like the, the, in terms of the channels, like from a gorgeous point of view, like we integrate with email, phone, SMS, live chat on your site, your Facebook posts, Facebook Messenger, Instagram posts, Instagram DMs, very soon to be launching our WhatsApp integration, which I can't wait for because it's by far our most requested feature. Yeah. Um, it's actually launching Q2 this uh, or this quarter. So anyway, like imagine like all of those channels integrated in one place. It just makes communicating with your customer so much more efficient, especially when you're able to automate like 20, 20 to 30% of those tickets that you were previously you're servicing manually, maybe for like very basic, very basic requests that, that really don't need human intervention. Yeah. I mean, I know whenever I do kick off some research for a new client, there's always questions being asked by, by customers on things like how much is shipping or how long does shipping take or what's your returns policy? And yeah, like I mean, huge amounts. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like basic yeah. stuff like that. It, like a human doesn't doesn't need to answer that. Even things yeah. that are more dynamic, like where is my order, like that. All of that information is now stored stored by that you know either like Shopify or a third party shipping uh, or three PL or whatever. All of that can be pulled in dynamically and automatically played back to the customer without without a human needing to respond. Of course, there's like there's use cases where a human is is needed maybe it's a more complex request or there's been a problem in that case yes you like number one rule is always give the customer the option to like self-serve but also empower them to you'll be able to communicate with a human when they want to or need to yeah and so monetization which is i'm really glad you mentioned that because that's what i don't want to say customer service is all about obviously but that's like, I guess, the gold standard, really, isn't it? Actually, able to turn customer service into a monetized channel. Yeah. So how would you advise brands do that? What, what does that look like? Have you got any examples of brands who do it well? Examples of brands who do it well. So, yes. Right, so, starting with question, I guess that I often ask when I like if I if I'm doing a talk or something and I've got an audience of brands in front of me, I regularly ask like who here is actually measuring revenue generated by support. And 
it's honestly a, like a handful of, of hands go up. There's never there, there's very there's very few people who are, who are measuring revenue, and often the people who are measuring re- revenue, it's existing gorgeous customers. So so, and I appreciate it's hard to to measure that side of things, particularly when you're a small brand. Like I know, like there's no way that that me in my in my small brand that I run, I do all of the stuff that I know. I should do, and the big brands have have more resources to do. What, what was the what was the original question again? Monetizing. Uh, monetizing. How, how how do brands how do brands do it? How do brands do it? And, and a good example of, of people who do it well. Yeah. So I'm trying to think an example of one of our customers who does it well. It's a brand called Lily's Q, and they had like tons of tons of manual processes for starters. They weren't they weren't measuring the revenue of their support team per se, and they had manual processes in place whereby they had like the social media team dealing with requests who were then passing those requests to the support team, the support team passing things to social media. There's requests coming on the phone, like all over the place and, and a bunch of human error and, and long wait times. So they made like they looked at like what revenue was kind of ge- being generated by the support team at that point. And then they thought, okay, this is bonkers. Let's start using Gorgia. And they automated a huge amount of that process because they pulled everything into one place. So they managed to reduce their first contact time by over like 24 hours or something. Okay. And then the re- and then the revenue that they were able to then generate and measure through Gorgia was, was up over like, I want to say 80%. And the revenue in total was over, it was up over like 170%. So is this, so is this primarily inbound requests, inbound questions and queries about products, about like the, the pre-purchase, basically the pre-purchase experience and information yeah. and customer service providing that information, which is then resulting in a sale. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah. So because there, there was a big focus on the acquisition side for them, obviously yeah. like retention is, is, is huge, but I mean, you kind of touched on it there, like the, the pre-purchase side. I believe like the, the, the real key to being successful in your customer service team is being able to segment the pre-purchase questions and the post-purchase questions. Yep. And like we have over a hundred million tickets a year at Gorgeous. So there's like a shitload of data. And a third of those tickets are pre-purchase questions. So that's people who are like thinking about buying and considering buying your product and giving you money. So if you're not providing the best possible experience for those people, then you're potentially losing out on a lot of money. Yeah. So uh, this is something I use. I use this data a lot for conversion rate optimization. I'm always looking at what are the questions people are asking that is hopefully going to then turn into a purchase. You know, what what's the missing information? So being able to add a an actual value, a monetary value to that, and say, well, okay, not only are people asking this question, but if this question gets answered, it's worth you know twenty grand a month or something, yeah. or a hundred yeah. grand a month. So Let's just make sure this is on the website. And then not only are we potentially adding a hundred grand a month to the website because that information is there, but we're also reducing the workload on customer service by 10% because those tickets are gone. Yeah, which, which really comes back to what you mentioned about five minutes ago, which was reframing like the mind and the attitude to customer service and like thinking of it as a profit center as opposed to a cost to the business. Because you know, at the end of the day, your customer service team should should be should be acting like like salespeople, and they should they should be generating revenue for you. 
Yeah. Well, I think the, the best experiences I've ever had are the ones who, you know, they, they don't just say like, what do you want to buy? Okay, cool. I'll sell that to you. It's the ones who say, kind of, what, like, you know, they ask you questions like, what do you need? Why do you need yeah. it? Okay. Well, I don't think this plan is right for you, but what about this one? You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking utilities like phone bills, this, the stuff that I actually phone up to buy, but the best experiences are always the ones that, that actually investigate what I need and will provide a relevant answer to that. Yeah. The worst are the ones who just answer my question. Pure, and that's all they do. They just answer the question that's been asked. And I know in situations like that, I'm thinking there's inevitably another question I have to ask. Right. And which has just reminded me, uh, do you know Groove? The uh, It's more of a, a, a B2B SaaS customer service platform. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, on their blog, which is fantastic. I used to read that for, for ages when they were still doing less than 100K a month, I think. Or was it 100K a year? My, oh, I can't remember. But one of the articles was on, like, what's they call it? First, first contact resolution. Yeah. Right. So the idea that a person gets in touch with customer service and the response to that question is so good and detailed and anticipates further needs that that person does not have to get back in touch. Yeah. So it's, you know, an example of like, oh, what's your, what's your shipping policy? You're not only answering that question, but then you're also thinking if they're interested in shipping and knowing what the shipping policy is, they're probably going to be interested in returns policy. So let them know as well that they'll get free returns if, if there's anything wrong. And that might be enough to then deal with that person's issue, get them to yeah. make that purchase. Mm-hmm. And they haven't then had that follow-up ticket. Yeah. I mean, like that's like the, the absolute perfect scenario. And when you can, when you have the, the sort of data there to know what your support teams are getting asked about regularly then you can start to put those flows in place. So if you if you understand that you're regularly getting questions about shipping and returns from 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 customers, I like either in a follow-up ticket or in the same ticket, then yeah, you can absolutely do that. I really like that. Yeah. I was just thinking another example actually just popped into my head because like we've we've talked about customer service taking or a good customer service taking a few different forms. And I like I, I'm a I'm a customer of Huel, you know Huel? Yeah. Like the, the the sort of meal replacement proteiny stuff. Anyway, I actually think that their customer service setup is pretty clunky from like a UX point of view. But like I wanted to I wanted to return something. This is kind of your balsamic example made me think of this. It's like good customer service without like the the tech helping okay yeah basically i wanted to return something and they said oh we can actually see that you it was a, it was a product i had subscribed to that's what it was i subscribed to the product they had they could see from their end that i had opened the reminder email but i had forgotten to actually go in and like pause it or cancel it and so they said because this is the first time just you keep the product give it to a family or friend or whatever if you've got too much and let us like not contribute to global warming. Let's let's limit our impact on the planet, sort of thing, by not ordering a courier to come into it to, to to send it back to us. And I was like, you know what? That's actually brilliant. As 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 much as this wasn't like the the best way of communicating with me, like technology wise, it was a, it was a really nice resolution and got me you know talking about it. So did you did you, did they refund you as well, or did they oh, just yeah, kind sorry, of flip they, yeah, it on yeah, you and say, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, they, re- they re- refunded me as well. So they gave me a refund and and let me keep the product, which is to be honest, still sitting in a box in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I might just get used anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just I found it interesting when I was thinking about this how it wasn't necessarily anything to do with like the tech at that point that provided a good customer service and will make me return as a customer to them. It was just yeah. common sense logic. You'll do do something nice for your customers to help with that retention piece because the cost of that product to them uh, and retaining me as a, as a customer is going to be a lot less than them going out and finding a new customer. Yeah. And, you know, like they said, obviously they, they obviously trying to care about the environment a bit, but the cost of them shipping that back to themselves and restocking it and all that is is probably going to be close to the cost of the product to them. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's just not much point. They for, for the same price, they'll just produce another one and sell it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. But like you yeah. said, it it's going to get you telling people about it. It potentially it hasn't yet, obviously, but it potentially gets you to put their product in someone else's hands, which is basically yeah. Yeah. Re- referral. Yeah, um, free marketing. Potentially referral marketing. So yeah, it's it's stuff like that. And actually, I, I wanted to touch on kind of how, how customer service contributes to conversion and retention. Obviously, we've talked about the conversion side a bit because we've talked about you know, if you're answering questions then and you're providing a good experience with that, then, then people are going to buy. But on the retention side, apart from people making mistakes and trying to cancel things and get refunds, what... What are some good ways that customer service can contribute to retention? To retention, I mean, it's like, I'm trying to think of the, the sort of one-third and two-thirds split of those tickets. So like one-third is like the pre-sales stuff, that's the acquisition, which leaves like which leaves two-thirds, which is, uh, which is you know, a huge number of tickets that are potentially contributing to whether or not a customer is going to purchase from you again or not. And that starts as soon as like they've purchased. Like that's everything from being able to quickly give them updates on their shipping status, help with refunds, cancellations, subscription changes, anything like that. So there's certain certain things that if you can simply be fast on, like basic basic service requests, if you can be fast on that, then that is going to help with your retention. Even if it's not like your jazzy or any particular exciting tech, then if you're simply fast, then that's going to help your retention. You can take it that step further and use something you know like Gorgeous. I don't want to sit here and plug Gorgeous, but yeah, <laughs> like that. Like the thing is, I use it. I use it in my brand, and I feel like you know, were talking about customer service. It's very hard not to talk about things from a Gorgeous point of view because that's what I know. But yeah, if you can use Gorgeous to, to again like speed up then those those interactions and make them more efficient and. And, and enjoyable for the customer, then that's like the number one thing that's going to contribute to, to retention for me. I think you're right. And you, I can't remember if you actually mentioned it. So when you when you talked about the poll at the start, product and customer experience, or I suppose product and customer service, because I suppose, I guess product comes into customer experience in a way. But if you've got a great product and if you're really good at dealing with any customer queries, then you, you should be doing pretty well at retaining people. You shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't um, have to do in, in theory you shouldn't have to do much to actually retain customers yeah yeah i mean i, I totally agree uh, but there's certain things that you should you know certain best practices that we as sort of business owners and, and e-com professionals know that we should be doing in certain technologies and parts of our tech stack that, that help us do that so for example your clavio the majority of, of e-com brands certainly in like the shopify space now are, are on clavio uh one of the best tools 
or an, an email being one of the best channels to help with retention. If we can then integrate that with like so your customer service platform, with your loyalty scheme, with whatever whatever else it might be, like reviews platforms, then you've got a really strong tech stack that yeah. the, the, the leverages the data available across all of those different technologies, but integrates into one place. So you get like a much a much better picture of the customer and can therefore service them in a much more accurate and personal way. So like personalization at scale is really what we're all striving for is in in, in e-commerce. But the best way to do that is by sort of using technology that all integrates together. Yeah, even if you can't automate everything, there's still you can automate a, a load of the process and then just still have a little manual bit at the end. So, you know, when you were mentioning integrations, so if you've got, let's say, uh, reviews integrated, if you can see that someone's left a five-star review, then you might want to just reach out to them and say, thanks for the review, or just drop them a little a note or you know, send something nice. And it, same with if you get a, a one or a two or even a three-star review, you should, you know, that can come into customer service and say, well, you know, you guys need to ping this person an email and say, really, so you've had that experience. How can we fix this? Like, what, what do you need? But also, if you've got it all linked up, I guess you should be able to see that history there as well. So yeah. you can see if that person had their issue dealt with and still left a one star review or whether their issue wasn't dealt with for some reason. And also, it alerts you to really bad customers as well. I remember, I remember. We were working with Trustpilot on this, and which, well, I won't get into that. We had this customer who he basically broke the rules. He broke the terms of service, and so he got fined. I was like, we didn't get fined. He got he incurred additional costs to his booking, right. which was like very obvious stuff, very well laid out. And he left a one star review on Trustpilot and said, like, avoid this company. They they scam you. They they just take money from your bank account. They charged me X amount more money. And I mean, we just, we asked Trustpilot to, to remove it and explain why. But they, the way Trustpilot does it is they say, if you, if we deem that your request to remove the review is invalid, we will post your reasoning. So people can see why you've asked for this review to be removed, mm -hmm. which I think is good because it does. It does put. It does mean you can't have a really bad experience and then just start removing all the bad reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. we just obviously posted that it, we'd uh, it broken the rules. He'd he'd done X Y Z, like basically damaged the the vehicle that he rented and done a few things that were going to incur the company costs. So he got fined, and in this case, it, it did get removed. But it almost made me think: actually, should we have just replied? And actually not, so not removed it, should we have actually replied publicly and just left it there and said, you know, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't have benefited from that. But there are other, other no, no, situations like, where think, obviously it's, it's important to, to push back on on bad yeah, reviews like that and deal with the bad reviews that are actually bad experiences. 100%. I mean, like one of the things that I said earlier, which is being able to like segment pre-purchase questions and, and post-purchase questions, but also like there's way more segmentation that could be done when it comes to like social media like whether or not you've got a positive comment or a negative comment or someone simply asking a question, if we can segment all those stuff and you can you know, deal with them accordingly. But but the negative the comments one, I find you know, very interesting because as a brand owner, I run Facebook ads. I know that you get trolls on there. People you know, just you know, simply bored in their room commenting yeah. for the sake of commenting or like they don't like the look of 
the person, the advert, whatever it might be, there's always going to be trolls out there. And you're left with that thing like, gosh, shit, like, do, do I hide it? Do I reply? And some brands have like a zero hide policy. I know a lot of brands that like they would never hide a comment and they will try and publicly respond to everything because they see a lot more value in that. And, it, and she'll do that. She'll? Yeah, they uh, yeah. they get a lot of trolling, particularly when they when they promote vegan or plant based foods. Yeah. They get a lot of trolling on that, and but they just they deal with it really well. Actually, they they push back, and I there's think that, yeah, I, I think that it. looks really good. There's a there's an example. Oh, I wish I could remember off the top of my head. There's like an Aussie company who are absolutely brilliant at this. I mean, I should try and find it quite quickly. Okay, uh, but but no, the point but the point I was I think I was making about the negative comments was I've forgotten. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Some some brands don't hide them. Some do. The ones that yeah, don't. So, see oh yeah. Even. So I was at, yeah, yeah. I was actually thinking about you know this from another your brand perspective. That someone I know who does this very very well, and it's like a core part of their strategy is to not hide comments and to respond publicly. It's a brand called Absolute Collagen. And you can really you can see this on like the ads they run on on their posts. They're very very active. This is like part of their acquisition and retention strategy is to be active on social media and treat those social media channels as support as support channels, which a lot of brands don't. They they kind of just treat it as like a way to to show off maybe pretty pictures, but for uh, and, yeah. and to drive acquisition. But they forget that actually no social media is a big support channel and it's the fastest growing support channel out of all the channels that that we integrate with at gorgeous yeah i mean so if you you click on a, or you see a facebook ad and you can see that this has got x number of likes and you know several hundred comments it's it's some like some additional social proof isn't it hmm. that people people are interacting with this brand that that makes me feel I, other people must like this product or this brand there's there's some reason people are commenting, and if you open it up and you see that the brand's responding to everything, that that's that's good as well, right? You see that yeah. the brand's active; they're answering questions. You know, you you do see it a lot where people are just asking questions about the product, and they they I mean they either can't be bothered to click through and read the product pages, or yeah, yeah. all that yeah. information's not there. But they ask questions and it gets responded to, which yeah. I, I do think looks really good when you see those questions yeah. left unanswered. You know, I suppose you're kind of thinking, like, am I gonna, like, I, what, what's going on? <laughs> if I if I can't find this information and I need it, am I going to have to wait 17 hours to get an email response? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it, if you, I would have thought if someone asks a question on a Facebook ad and you can respond to it quickly, they will convert quickly. That's, there's, there's a higher level of intent if someone is asking a specific question about the products and there's Absolutely. interest. Yeah, that's why, like, like straight out of the box, really, like part of the segmentation that the gorgeous offers is the social media sentiment detection, and one of those like segments is question. Like, so, like if someone's asking a question about you, like prioritize that because like your brand is front of mind, and and they could convert within like minutes if you reply. Yeah, oh, I like this. Uh, I wish I wish something I wish something like gorgeous had been available when I was when not doing customer service, but when I was in the startups that would have really benefited from the support. I mean, I did do a bit of customer service there, but yeah, none what, of it was what, linked what up. You, what were you using? Like, what was your what was your kind of uh, experience back then? I think we used Desk or Odesk or something like yeah. that, uh, which was fine. Like that, that platform on its own was fine, but it just had none of the integrations. 
right? Yeah. So we, I, I remember having meetings where we were discussing which social media channels are we going to actually pay attention to? Like, what have we got the resource for? What have we got the bandwidth for? If we're not active on a channel, do we, do we offer any support there? So if yeah. we're not using Twitter, if we're not really using Twitter as, a, as an organic social media channel, do we respond to any tweets that are asking us questions? Or do we say, we're not active there, move on? In which case, if you, if you do that, obviously, then you should either close the page or put something on the page saying, this isn't monitored, whatever. But you don't have to do that now. So, No, exactly. It's, the joys um, of technology. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when uh, like Zapier was like a massive thing. And I know it still is, it's still huge, but even that's no longer as necessary now because everything just plugs into Shopify. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. When it plugs into Shopify, you can generally plug into a lot of the other leading apps. Uh, and, you, anyway. and you know what I find interesting is that, that this doesn't just make things easier for, for, for the merchant. It makes things easier for absolutely everyone involved in the ecosystem, like everyone at the tech on the tech side, everyone merchant side, and everyone agency side. Like the three people who are like most involved in the success of a brand is usually you know the merchants themselves, the technology that they use, and then the agencies that they work with. And if the three of them can can all regularly use the same tech stack and get get to grips with everything and know everything inside out, then they've got the highest chance of succeeding. If everyone's spending less time on figuring out how to do things that you that like. Like, like find a loyalty program, like find a customer service platform. Like we know that you're going to, if you know that you're going to need that as a brand, know the tech that, that's, that, that's out there and use it time and time again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know we've talked about a few things, but what, <clears throat> are there any other missed opportunities in, in customer service that we've not talked about? Anything, anything that brands sh- should be doing? I guess, I guess it's what, are, what should brands, what should brands be doing that is, that they're not doing and that's why they're in, Tier two. I phrased so, that so badly. No, it's a terrible question. But you know what I mean. <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. How'd you get out? Of, how'd you get out of tier two? Yeah. So I, I honestly think we've we've probably touched on this throughout. I've mentioned it maybe once or twice or maybe ten times. My rule number one is be fast, which is like my, which is something that all of us as brand owners can do, regardless of the tech that that we use. Like we can all like one of the biggest things that's within our control is that first response time. So if we can get that first response time down, that's one of the biggest contributors to getting you out of that level two up to level three, up to level four. And and the, the sort of net effect of, of, of even just increasing the speed with which you respond to customers is that you're offering a better experience, which is going to lead to higher conversions, which is going to lead to more revenue, more profit, which is you'll find most of us are in e-commerce to begin with. Then the second thing I would say Again, we've probably touched on it. Is actually the you're making sure that you're using social media as a support channel because there's so many brands who aren't doing that. But from the data that that we have access to, we can see it's the excuse me, it's the fastest growing support channel. So any brands that aren't leveraging social media as a support channel are are absolutely missing out on the ability to to make more meaningful relationships or build more meaningful relationships with customers in a faster way. I wonder if there's a, I wonder if a big part of that is just lack of knowledge, like lack of the lack of knowledge that you can actually do this now with yeah. tools like, like gorgeous. The, the, there is that ability. You know, I, if I, if I was running a business 
and getting loads of comments on Facebook ads, I'd be thinking, well, how, how the hell are we going to answer all these comments? Like that's, mm. we've got to, you've got to be continually, continuously checking in on Facebook to see which ads are being yeah. commented on. You've got to have those links available. But if someone said to me, just plug it into gorgeous, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that changes things completely. It does. And it like, for, for, if, if, a, if a brand is running, is, is running ads, and they're getting comments on those ads and they're, they are struggling with like the even just that that one channel imagine like what they could be what they would be struggling with when you consider like the multiple channels but they're missing out on potentially higher return on ad spend as well because it comes back to like those people commenting or social if someone's commenting and thinking about your brand then you'll interact with them as quickly as possible offer them a discount code or from an invite to an event whatever it might be to try and get them over the line yeah yeah, I think that's a that's a really good one. Customer service via social media, obviously, particularly yeah. if you're if you're running ads, if you're spending money and getting getting eyeballs on on a channel which everyone knows is a lower intent channel anyway. You know, the conversion rate for for Facebook is lower than PPC, for example. Yeah. But if you've got those people showing intent, jump on it. Right. Yeah, absolutely, hundred um, percent. Um, I'm trying to think, like, if there's anything else worth worth chatting about there because like i'm i'm thinking of like we've, we've spoken a lot about like the sort of digital side of it but like i was speaking to a friend of mine his name is will he's the founder of a brand called tastily for like a food delivery oh, company yeah. yeah i know uh, yeah yeah so so they uh like you was telling me how like their digital acquisition costs have, have, have tripled and i'm thinking of like what the challenges are around that because we've talked a lot talk, spoken a lot about the digital side but i know that a lot of brands are are trying to sort of scale back on on the digital side of things because of costs. And what I find really interesting about your Will story was that part of it was was quite similar to me in that he started off in sales, doing door-to-door sales in in Australia for an electricity company. And I actually did door-to-door sales for an electricity company in Australia when I was 18 as well. He loved it, uh, or so he says. And um, I absolutely hated it and lasted like four days. Uh, But fast forward to how that's impacted tastily strategy these days is that because of these scaling digital costs, they're moving towards more traditional marketing methods such as door-to-door sales, such as direct mail, flyer swaps with other brands, that type of thing. So like, you know, more traditional methods that people uh, had almost forgotten about they're starting to focus or, or refocus their attention on that okay yeah yeah i think yeah i'm seeing a lot of that as well actually there's a, a networking group i'm part of and a couple of times a week i reckon there there are people asking if if there are other brands looking to do collaborations and mm. these these do i think tend to be smaller brands and maybe that's something bigger brands are missing out on maybe the bigger brands have got into that that almost that mindset of everything we do has got to be paid for. So we might as well just keep doing the paid channels. Whereas you'd, you know, if I don't know, Gusto said to a, a bunch of smaller kind of complementary brands, we'll do a, a leaflet swap with you. We want to put a leaflet in, in all your orders for the next month. And, and you can do the same with that, with ours. They'd both get, both do really well with that. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. They, they've obviously got to pick, you know, Gusto would obviously have to find like a hundred companies to do that with, but that that could be really beneficial for both companies. Um, yeah, you just don't see it as much. I, mean, I was got, I was, I was really glad to to hear him speak about that because you know it's something that 
that that it's made me stop and think, you know, as a retirement scarf company, which is largely all digital and you're trying to sort of automate as much as the, the process as possible from your customer landing on the site through to order being placed through to them receiving that order. So it's like low touch for me, but it's maybe reevaluate maybe, you know, it being so digital and, and like automated as much as possible isn't necessarily the best strategy given where we're at, you know, as in the e-commerce landscape with it potentially a, a looming recession <laughs> yeah so so yeah. might need to get more creative with this with marketing strategy really. yeah yeah exactly we've only got a few minutes left just quickly what what can brands be doing to to keep improving the customer service keep improving the impact the customer service has on the business number one use the best tech available whether or not you're a small brand or a big brand you'll leverage the tech out there that's going to make your job easier follow the data you'll make sure that you're using data effectively because if you understand what's working well in not just your your customer service setup, but your wider business, then you can you can plug holes for your potentially leaking revenue. But you can also reallocate budget to things that you know are working really well. And that's just that, that's that's everything from sort of customer service through to marketing through to through to operations. So yeah, I would say, well, I'm maybe leave it at that. Yeah, no, I think that the second point's really really important. It's something I talk about a lot as well. And it's one of those things that turns customer service from a cost center into something that's that's valuable for the business, even if it's not 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 directly generating revenue through those actions, but allowing the what you, you normally consider the revenue generating activities to do them even better. Now that's that's obviously really important, and I think a lot of brands need to do more of that. Yeah. So just just before we finish, is there anyone in the kind of e-commerce or DTC marketing space, or or anyone from a particular brand? That you'd want to sit down for lunch with. There's there's so many people. Yeah, um, I don't know if 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 if, uh, if this is like an easy question for you to answer. It's probably not an easy one for me to answer, but I think I can whistle it down to two people. Number one, Neil Patel. Okay. Because uh, he's got a great name. No, but not actually. Uh, it's because he's he's done you know some incredible work in marketing and um, SEO is you know something I find you're genuinely fascinating. So I think he's a good one to speak to. And then the second one would be Gary V. Love him or hate him. I think it would be one of the most entertaining lunches that you've maybe ever had. What, the two of them together? Or <laughs> uh, I mean, if I can, if I can or, or just take either. the two of them to, if I can take both of them to lunch, that would be extremely interesting. I think one on one with Gary V would be even more interesting. I think he'd get loose. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I'm. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about him. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably more on the hate him side, but I, I, I really don't like this whole like hustle culture, and you've got to be up at five a.m. and you've got to be working till till midnight, and you've got to dedicate your life to to working. I would rather yeah. do pretty well and enjoy life uh, at the same time. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, I, mean, so, I can see you. You're, you're big. You're big on the productivity side as opposed to you're just like slamming hours at something. Yeah, so you know, that's the bit which puts me off him a bit. But yeah, I appreciate yeah. that if I was able to sit down for lunch with him, I would get so much valuable insight from him on on what really matters with the work the, with these maybe smaller amount of work that I am doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. I remember I saw a clip from an interview where this this guy I can't remember who the other one was, but he was pretty. I think he's a pretty big marketer or something. But he asked him like, "Who do you think works more?" Or works hard, works more, or works harder. I'm not sure. And Gary V just immediately was like me. 
Hands yeah, down I've seen me. it. I've seen it. I, I've seen I know. Film. I just yeah. know that. And there is a little bit of that that attitude that I think is I find a little bit off putting. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, that's great. I'm I'm not quite sure if it for the voice of doubt. I'm not quite sure if it can I fall into somewhere between love and hate. I think I think I just I find them somewhat fascinating, and that's why yeah. I love to go for lunch with them. Yeah, fair enough. And obviously, except for for gorgeous, are there any any marketing tools that you use every day? Maybe for for the scarf business rather than at gorgeous. Yeah, so maybe a little bit vanilla, but Clavio, Shopify, like on the gorgeous side, like my day to day is is boring stuff like HubSpot and Zapier. What else do we use? Like Periscope, like data analytics stuff, you know. But really, like when it comes to Trans Scarfco, it, it's it's mostly sort of tried and tested best of breed stuff that, that all integrates well together like your Shopify Clavio gorgeous there you go yeah don't need anything cool. else <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right thank you so much it's been really great yeah there's some really valuable stuff there about how to how to take customer service to the next level I think so yeah thank you if yeah, anyone no wants worries. to reach out and find out more what's the best way of doing that so you can contact me on LinkedIn it's just Neil Forrest with two or neil.forest at gorgeous.com yeah that's probably the best way Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Neil. No worries. Thank you. Great stuff from Neil there. Customer service is such a valuable part of the business. It's not just the cost center most see it as. If you're not farming customer service for insights into how to improve your business, you're missing out. If you're not exploiting customer service to get more five-star reviews, you're missing out. And if you're not generating revenue from customer service, you're missing out. Go listen back over the episode and really think about how you can be getting more value from your customer service team. If you'd like to hear more from Neil, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Sarah Williams with me and we're going to be talking about live stream selling. But until then, keep those customers clicking.